And now, for the most famous words in motorsports, please welcome your Grand Marshal, the Bush Guy. Daytona! Engines of Fire, that means another episode of the Up to Speed podcast is officially underway. Tyler Head, Dalton Mullinax with you as always. Well, we hyped it up on last week's episode that cars were going to be hitting the track this past weekend, and that's exactly what they did. They also hit the wall, uh, they also hit each other, and well, just about everything else within the 2.5 mile Daytona International Speedway. Oh boy, Sunday was a doozy of a bush clash, wasn't it? Right. You know, obviously, we'll get to you know the qualifying and how everybody shook out with that. But you know, qualifying and then you get to the the clash and you know you're like Bush Clash, it's bad, better than ever. And then you get to the race and you're like, what's going on? Like, what are we doing here? Yeah, uh, and the weird thing about it was, and we'll kind of go uh, break down the race as it went along. We kind of saw three completely different races within the 75 lapper and for a race that short to be broken up that way is almost kind of amazing yeah oh yeah and eric jones eric jones won the bush clash i think honestly i i think most people have probably forgotten that by this point they're just talking about the wrecks and everything uh he was involved in several of those wrecks and he came across the line in first with a car that looks like it should have been six laps down in martinsville not winning a race at Daytona, you know, we talk about aerodynamics and every little bump and uh, nick on the car affecting you so much aerodynamically, and, well, Eric Jones just said, screw that, I'm going to win the Bush Clash with a beat-up nose. Well, and that's what's funny, you know, you say that he won it, I'm not trying to take anything away from him, but it's like, did he win it or did he just survive? Uh, I mean, I don't know, that's just, for me, that's the way I look at it, it's like, it was just a race of attrition, I mean... I don't remember who it may it may have been Keselowski. I don't know. There was some there were some drivers that were pretty ticked off. Yep. You know. Yep. After I, I don't remember if it was Keselowski that said it, but um, she had a very good rant and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, he was talking about like he, the funny line he said was when he was like, "Yeah, Tony Stewart, you know, was right." Remember his famous rant yep. about yep. run them up and don't wreck until everybody's wrecked or don't quit until everybody's wrecked. Yep. Um, and that's the way it felt. I mean, you know, you, you, you kick things off with the first wreck, you know, Logano trying to block, and then next thing you know, it's just like it's a big wreck fest. Yeah. Um, but, hey, we as they often say, cautions breed cautions. And, well, that was certainly the case. And here's the crazy thing is all of these, not counting the one caution that came out at lap 25 to kind of break up the race into its two segments, um, all of those cautions – and wrecks occurred within the final uh, 12 laps and overtime. Yeah. All that. Yeah. This was a 75-lap race, which is just shy of 200 miles, and it took over an hour and a half to complete. Yeah. Which I is mean, wild. It's, it's, yeah, and it was just, we had the red flag. I mean, you've got, what, at that point in time, there were like seven cars maybe remaining. Right. Uh, I mean, it was just, 
it just it's just frustrating, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I was, and, I was glad. Trust me, I was glad cars were back on the track. Right. You know, still enjoy. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It, speed week, but at the same time, it's like and, there's there's still ways to improve. And. and that's for me, like what you got to look at from this. I don't want to call it a debacle, but it was frustrating to several people. Well, and here's the thing, and I think Jeff Gluck brought up a really good point on the Teardown podcast with him and Jordan Bianchi. Obviously, wrecking is a part of super speedway racing. We've come right. to accept that. And, you know, when, when, when a big one happens at a super speedway track, we just kind of put our hands up and say, you know, that's just how it happens. But when it kind of gets to the point of having so many of these just huge wrecks within a few laps of each other, that's when, and this is the point that Jeff Gluck brought up, that's when kind of national media tends to see these things. Oh, you know, NASCAR drivers can't keep their cars under control. They're just wrecking everywhere in 10 laps or whatever. And that kind of can paint the sport in a bad picture. And that's what we don't want out of all of this. Right. And that's, you know, talking about the way the national media takes a hold of it. You know, you show all these wrecks and then you get, oh, they're not athletes. They can't even drive a car. You know, it's just, like you said, it just, it paints a bad narrative of NASCAR. And it's just, it's, it's incorrect. But again, you know, the media takes things the way they want to. Right. And if somebody works in media, both of us, we can both say, I mean, that's, that's the way it goes. Right. I mean, you, you take a snippet of the, 75 plus lap race and you go yep drivers can't do anything and you, you just you get bad pr from it it's a you know it's it'll leave a bad t- i mean like because i was even watching some of ricky uh stenhouse jr's interviews yep uh, when he was doing his kind of media tour for winning the, the poll of the daytona 500 yep they were asking him but he didn't even race in the clash right you know and it was like and that's the thing is like you take you know exci- some exciting news for him you know he's with a new team, new sponsor, new, you know, new, new career, everything. all this different stuff. And then it's like, oh yeah, by the way, everybody that wrecked on Sunday, what'd you think? Yeah. Like, it rained on his parade. I don't know, it just puts like a, a cloud over NASCAR, I feel like. And, and I don't know, maybe we're exaggerating too much. But, well, <laughs> just, I mean, it's just, you, now you have until Thursday to start to, to talk about it. I was going to say, you know, this very much reminds me of last year's Clash, which... That entire thing was just riding around in a line, and then you know Jimmy Johnson makes the move on Paul Menard, and you can debate you know whether Menard came down on him or whether he turned Menard. Either way, the field gets wrecked, it rains, Jimmy Johnson wins the clash, and we're all mad about that for you know four or five days afterwards. And then once we got to the duels and into the actual weekend of the 500, you know we just kind of forgot about it. Right, and, and that's what I'm hoping happens here. We get to the duels on Thursday. You know, everybody, like you said, I just kind of forgets about it. Uh, all right, so let's kind of break this race down. And, and I'll say this, for as crazy as the wrecking was at the end, I was more bothered by the just riding around that most of this race took place, that m- happened during most of this race. So it starts off, um, we have a, like the first 25 lap segment, and guys just riding around, Fords kind of link up on the top of the track. You know, Toyotas are kind of tagged along with them. And the Chevys were doing something interesting. So they were on the bottom of the track, lined up, um, but they weren't trying to catch the other line. It seemed like they were kind of holding back a little bit. I think William Byron was leading that line for a lot of it. And you could tell he was not full throttle, kind of dragging the brake a little bit, just making sure they were within range of the Fords and Toyotas, uh, but not catching them, not passing them. It's like, okay, um, you just assume that maybe they're going to try and pit 
before the end of the, the segment it ends or something like that. Well, they don't do that. The Fords and Toyotas do that. Chevy stay out um, and, and assume the lead once the caution comes out. Well, then we get into the second uh, segment of this race, the final 50 laps, and Chevrolet's trying to win it on fuel mileage, which kind of blew my mind. I, I would have never thought in a million years anybody would try and win the clash on fuel mileage. No, it, no. I mean, and you bring up a good point. Talk, you know, kind of go back to what you talked about. You know, the Chevy's just riding around the bottom. It was funny, Eric Almarola. He kind of got shuffled out mm-hmm. and actually got pushed back to the back, and he jumped in that bottom line with all the Chevys. So it was yep. the, I believe it was seven Chevys and Almarola. Yep. And, um, you know, he even he was like. Do they not want to go to the front? Like, yeah, he's why like, are they riding around here at the bottom? He's what, like, what why? He's like, why aren't we going anywhere? Yeah, and like, in you know, me and you, obviously, we were texting back and forth during the race, and that was kind of our thing. Was like, what are they doing? Like, and I understand Chevy had, in, in my opinion, a lot more on the line than mm-hmm. anybody else. They they tried to figure, they had to try to figure out this new Camaro. But that's the thing is riding around in a single file line doesn't tell you that's, anything about how it races. And, and that was, you know, I, I get you want. That would make some sense if you were trying to figure out how much you could maybe push in a line, but you don't really push in a line. No, you got to get. You don't lock bumpers unless you're in a pack. And when the, I mean, when that happened, you know, I don't remember any instance of, of sending a, uh, another car off the front of a nose of a Chevy, like we saw last year a couple times. But it's like you didn't. This was your big opportunity to try it. Right. I don't care if you get in a pack with just the other Chevys. Don't ride single file though. Right. I don't know. I just, I didn't understand it. And obviously, we won't know the, the real reason. But like you said, then they want to try to go out there and win it on fuel mileage. And that was a disaster in the plan. Right. So here's basically what happened. So the Fords and the Toyotas pitted before the end of the first segment. So the Chevy shuffled to the front. Chevy's an Almarola. I, I think he stuck with them. Um, so then when the caution comes out, obviously they all pit. Now the fuel window at Daytona is between 38 and 42 laps green. So the Clash went back green with about 44, 45 laps to go. So you're asking these guys to save anywhere between three and four laps, probably. And when you're at a track where you hold it wide open, that's ridiculously hard. So again, once we get back rolling, uh, you know, everybody kind of breaks up in their, into their... Um, uh, groups and everything, and then the Fords and the uh, Toyotas end up pitting because they pit halfway through the segment or whatever. Because of course it's not a you know it's more it's longer than a fuel run, and that's when the Chevys kind of employ their strategy of just riding around, you know, th- three quarters to half throttle, and and not only that they kept swapping the lead in this line because the leader wasn't going to be getting as good a fuel mileage as the guys behind him. And that's where yeah. it, that's where it kind of got a little bit ridiculous to me. Like, all right, for one, we're not we're not trying to race at all. You're voluntarily giving up the lead because you want to save fuel. That's not how super speedway racing should work. No, no, and, and that's you know you bring up a good point there. He's it, like there was no, it's like, there's no incentive to win really. No, and and and, and like you're you're at a disadvantage if you're out front. Right, and here's and a, I get, I mean, like, I get the strategy. Sorry to interrupt. Like, I get the strategy. Yeah. Sure. At the end of the day, 
you want to win the race. Yes. And I think I think all eighteen drivers in that field had the same uh, had the same goal. They want to r- win the race. Yes. But like you also like this is an exhibition. There's no points on the line. You know, it's not like you're you're racing for a million dollars like you would be. You know, at the all star race. I don't yep. know. I just I thought it was a. And again, maybe maybe there's something we don't know. You know, I, these teams are calculated. They know what they're doing. But from a fan standpoint, I don't understand. I don't understand the point of not racing. Well, here here's the here's the thing, and it's become so prevalent these past couple of years with super speedway racing as the manufacturers have formed these alliances where we only see Fords running with Fords, Chevys running with Chevys, Toyotas running with Toyotas. The manufacturers could care less how entertaining a race is. They just want to win. And I completely understand that. And with the clash moving back to the daytime these past couple of years, you're now in the exact same conditions that you're going to be running in the 500 a week later. So why not use this as a 75 lap test session to see what you can figure out that, again, half the field that isn't competing in this race isn't going to be able to figure out. So not only are you getting an advantage over some of those other teams that aren't in it, but you're also able to help out the Chevrolets that aren't running in the clash. You know, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., who's going to be on the pole for the 500, um, he's going to be able to get some feedback from these Chevy guys based on what they learned. Because, again, you're racing the exact same time in the clash that you're going to be in the 500 a week later. So there's a lot you can learn from it. Yeah, and that was the part that was just really confusing to me. And I will say, switching from confusion to concerning, the Chevys just didn't have the speed. I mean, look, they qualified obviously well, yeah, right? yeah, as they always do. But they didn't have just the speed nor the maneuverability of the car for the clash when right. they were packed up. And like for me, as a Chevy guy, that's concerning. Like, yes, I thought. Because what's weird is, like, I think it was, I even tweeted about it. It was, like, I don't remember who said, like, ten laps in, they were talking about, oh, the, the Chevy's having a competitive advantage right now with this new nose. Yep. Well, it's like, well, I mean, what are you seeing that we're not? Right. So, I don't know. I, I just think that the Camaro still has a long way to go. I mean, they don't have the speed that the Fords do. No, not, not at all. I don't care. And obviously, you know, you go with trimmed out versus how much you want to be able to race with your car based on qualifying results. So right. that's what you can't really, you know, you can't really base all that off of, you know, what you see, the order of the qualifying. But I don't know. I just I just didn't understand the plan from Chevy. I, I didn't during the race, and I still don't now. Maybe this is part of some master plan where – you know they've got something they're 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 looking for. Maybe they want to hold it back until the five hundred. I don't know why you would, but maybe they got something. I don't know. It just again, I I'm just confused, really. Well, and jumping back into into the race itself, he, here's where the plan kind of backfired because again, Chevy's out there trying to save fuel, running three quarters to half throttle, running probably about 190 miles an hour as a group. Well, when the Fords and Toyotas got back out on track and linked up into a line, they had plenty of fuel to make it to the end. They're going foot to the floor. They're running a good 10 miles an hour faster, and they were catching the Chevys between half a second and three seconds per lap. So it's like, and when you kind of looked at how many laps were left, it's like, okay, well, this isn't going to work. 
because the Fords and Toyotas, they're going to catch them and they're going to blow by them. And sure enough, when they caught up to them, Brad Keselowski was leading the line. They just kind of fly by them. Chevy was fortunate, though, as they kind of broke up and were able to, like, merge into this pack. And then in, like, kind of a blink of an eye, we went from having two single-file lines to the three-wide racing that we've been dying for the entire day with 12 laps to go. Yeah, I mean, and that's, you know, obviously, like you said, that's, you know, we've been waiting for that all day long. We've been waiting for them to, to mix it up. But then, even then, though, I mean, I don't know how, how long it was after they all got bunched up before the first wreck happened, but it, it wasn't long. It was three laps. Um, Joey Logano was out in front. Kyle Busch got a surge of momentum, went to try to go, or went to try and pass him on the bottom. Logano throws one block. He kind of throws another half when his bush is going down. Again, you can debate which side of the fence you're on with whose fault it was. Regardless, uh, Logano gets turned. Bush goes down into Keselowski. They end up taking out Jimmy Johnson, uh, Denny Hamlin, and uh, Ryan Blaney in the wreck as well. And I say take out. I mean, some of these guys kept on going, but you know what I mean. So that's our first big one. Okay, nine laps to go. We've had one big wreck. Not that big of a deal. It's super speedway racing. Whatever. Hey, we're gonna we're gonna bunch them up too. This is what we want. That's right. We're gonna bunch them up. We're gonna have you know roughly anywhere between four and five laps to go. All right, this is gonna be good. It's the next wreck that I think really just kind of made people put their face in their hands because it was the restart wreck where yep. William Byron and Ryan Newman and I I don't even think they know how it happened just simultaneously spun their tires and turned sideways. And that, okay, this is a long one, because that collected William Byron, Ryan Newman, Martin Shrex Jr., Kyle Larson, Kevin Harvick, Kurt Busch, Ryan Blaney again, Clint Boyer, Alex Bowman, and our winner, Eric Jones. And this happened while they're going like 70 miles an hour just getting up to speed. Like, that was just kind of one of those wrecks. It's like, come on, guys, what are you doing? Yeah, it, it, you know, somebody, I, I, may, may have been Newman, was asking if there was any fluid on the track. Did NASCAR ever say anything about that? Um, I didn't hear anything, but that was that's kind of the only logical explanation I could think of. Is like, why would two cars that weren't touching simultaneously do the same thing while going yeah. slow? Like, I can't think of any other rationale besides that. Yeah, that's that's the only thing too. That was what I initially thought of was, well, man, somebody's put oil down. But I don't know. It just it was weird, and like you said, doing here. Yeah. Uh, so all right. So that happens. Uh, that restart came with about four laps to go. So all right, now we're getting into our first overtime, and we get into overtime, and we get racing for uh, about a lap or so, and then so. Chase Elliott, and Chase Elliott had a doozy of a day himself. He's pushing Denny Hamlin, and he pushes him into turn three, and Hamlin ends up cutting a tire and taking out a lot more cars. Now, I would read off the list, but most of these guys have already been involved in a wreck anyway, so I'll just avoid that. It took out a lot more cars. This was our second, or our, our third big one. I, I consider any wreck with more than three cars a big one. Um, and, and now, this one's a little more natural i guess because you know hamlin cuts the tire but but still um just just three big ones in the span of uh 
12 laps. Uh, a lot of those laps were under caution, but still 12 laps. Um, it's just kind of like, all right, now we're kind of getting into a little bit of a ridiculous situation here. Yeah, and it was just, and that wasn't even the end of it. No, it wasn't, because I mean, on the next overtime attempt, uh, we almost got through that full lap to take the white flag to make the race official. Chase Elliott and Kyle Larson battling for first, and again, I said Kyle Lar- or Chase Elliott had a bit of a rough day in the clash because he just kind of runs into the side of Larson. They go on the banking, they come back up. They end up taking out Eric Jones as well. So this is the third incident he's been involved in. Again, he ends up winning the race, which is hilarious. But at that point, I don't know about you, but I was just like, I just want to see the white flag of this thing. Like, let's get this thing over with. Yeah, let's just let's just crown a winner and move on. Like, it was just... I hate when, when races turn into wreck fests. I do too. Like, and again, we, we understand that super speedway racing produces wrecks but when it becomes i guess comical to the point where we can't go half a lap without wrecking it's like all right we're not racing at this point we're just having a demolition derby yeah and again like it's it's win by attrition yes you can survive so now that all the wrecking is finally out of the way, we get to our final restart, and there's six cars left on the track. Uh, it's Eric Jones, who of course ends up winning the race, Austin Dillon, Clint Boyer, Kyle Larson, Ryan Newman, and a lap down, Denny Hamlin. So Denny Hamlin's a lap down running in sixth position. Obviously he can't win the race because he's lapped down. So what does he do? Locks bumpers with Eric Jones and just pushes him to the win. Now these two laps were probably the most entertaining laps of the entire race. Probably. I mean, because there was action, there was passing, there were bold moves being made. I mean, and and after all the wrecking and everything, and obviously, you know, it's frustrating to see that many wrecks, but to see a beat up car go out there and outrun, Austin Dillon had a perfectly clean car. He somehow avoided all these wrecks. And to see a, a just a battered car in Eric Jones outrun an Austin Dillon in a pristine car was almost kind of cool to an effect after seeing everything that had happened. Yeah, it was interesting. But yeah, definitely, I was surprised. I, I thought he had the car, and even you know his crew chief. Just he's with Justin Alexander this year, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, that's yeah, because Justin Alexander basically said, "Hey, you know, you got the best looking car out here. Let's yep. go get it done." Yep. And I mean, he wasn't able to. And that was the 2020 Bush Clash. Yeah. Uh, I think we're going to remember this one for a while. Yeah, it would be nice to forget it, but you know, I think we're going to remember it for all the wrong reasons. And again, I my bigger concern was just the fact that we spent 60-plus laps riding around doing nothing. You know? It, uh-huh. It's like, okay, if we're being realistic, we could have condensed this race down to 15 laps and still gotten all the action that we saw on Sunday. Right. So, you know, and now the conversation that a lot of people bring it up is, you know, how do we change this race? How do, how do we make it a better value for what it is? And, you know, uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. brings up a good point. You know, all right, we've brought back the name. We've brought back the when it's run during the daytime. Why don't we entertain the idea of bringing back the original format, which in the beginning was a 20-lap sprint, for only poll winners of the previous year. Yep. And that's that's the way it should be. It should be more of an exclusive, you 
you know, company. Um, and it should be shorter too. This isn't, this isn't the duels. This is a fun shootout that everybody kind of gets you, gets you back in a NASCAR a little bit. Yes. So I'll look ahead to 2021 because, uh, the Daytona 500 is a week after the Super Bowl next year. So obviously qualifying and, uh, the clash aren't going to be run on Super Bowl Sunday next year. We know that for a fact. So right. let's just assume that everything is about to get pushed back to Saturday Saturday again. So you're going to have Daytona 500 qualifying, the ARCA race, and then the Bush Clash all in one day. So if you're a fan buying a ticket for that, you got the entire day's worth of entertainment anyway. Mm-hmm. How about a 30-lap clash? It's shorter than a fuel run. It's still, I mean, it's a decent amount of laps. It's 75 miles. Um, enough for long enough for good for enough racing to where they're not just going to ride around um i you know i i think that'd be a, a fair amount of laps yeah yeah I, I think cap it at 30 um and i even like before we started recording this you brought up kind of doing what they do at the all-star race have an open or two yes so anyone that wants to enter you're gonna race in this one if you win it you get pushed up to the main clash. Yeah, so up until the year 2000, and it was called the Bud Shootout at that point, they had something called the Bud Qualifier, which was literally a short sprint race. Um, I think the last one was actually like 20 laps. And the winner, you know, was comprised of basically anybody that wasn't already locked into the Bud Shootout. Um, the winner, you win, you get in the shootout. Simple as that. So if we're talking about a 30-lap clash run a 15 or 20 lap qualifying race winner gets into the winner gets into the clash you know then you have 50 laps of cup racing compiled on to already have the arca race uh, cup qualifying so you have a full day's worth of entertainment at that point but you're making sure all of the racing is worth it yeah and that's what i I think is actually a, a feasible option here is to say you do a 15 lap you know qualifier mm-hmm top two finishers advance on to the clash and then you make the then you got the field from there you go race 25 to 30 laps and call it a day yeah i don't see anything wrong with that again you're we're not you don't have to worry about teams calculating fuel mileage and all this because again a fuel run is between 38 and 42 laps so you're coming in well short of that where you don't have to worry about it again i would make sure that caution laps do not count in this short of a race so you're not jipping anybody anymore of of seeing any racing um honestly you could have made it where caution laps didn't count a 75 lap race i think that could have been good because we certainly wasted a lot of laps at the end running under caution but but that's neither here nor there yeah well i hope they just look at it and and make changes and obviously next year you throw the super bowl in there and you have to you gotta make changes anyways so yeah well you know hey the 2021 schedule is said to be littered with changes so there's no reason the bush clash can't be a part of that exactly uh sorry so that's a wrap on the bush clash we spent a good solid 30 minutes talking about that one we mentioned daytona 500 qualifying earlier obviously ricky stenhouse jr getting on the pole for that one alex bowman on the outside front row uh while it wasn't a hendrick car winning the pole i mean ricky stenhouse jr has a hendrick engine so if you want to be technical the hendrick streak of winning the daytona 500 pole is still alive and well yeah i mean obviously 
it won't go down like that in the record books. But they got the Hendrick engine up under the hood, and the engine department back on the Hendrick campus is they're claiming the victory. Yeah, and uh, like I said, Alex Bowman on the outside front row, and within those next couple positions, you have Chase Elliott, you have Jimmy Johnson, you have William Byron. So again, the Chevys, Chevys can qualify really, really well at these super speedways, but it, again, it boils down to how you race. Well, and that's what's going to be fun, you know, to, with it being an impound race on Thursday. It's going to be interesting to see how those guys run that are going to start up, you know, start up front. Yep. So, yep, the blue-green vacation duels on Thursday night um, going to the first race, which will be roughly around 7 o'clock. You're going to have Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Chase Elliott, just kind of looking down the list here. Christopher Bell, who's, of course, making his Cup Series debut. Um you know, you've got Joey Logano, Clint Boyer, just some names in that race, Martin Truex Jr., Brad Keselowski. Um, I don't know about you, but if I'm Ricky Stenhouse Jr., I am dropping to the back as soon as this thing yeah. starts. Immediately. Immediately. I'm, I mean... And same thing for Alex Bowman in the second race. Yeah, there's absolute no use in going out there and turning up a car. Yes. No use. Um, and again, I know that now you have the incentive that it does pay basically stage points with the exception of the playoff point you know first place gets 10 points and everything like that in the grand scheme of things i think that's really insignificant considering how long the regular season is how many chances you have to accrue points if you not getting points in the daytona duel is the difference between you making the playoffs and not you probably weren't going to win the championship anyway yeah do you like the fact that you you're awarded points for the duels I do because, and fortunately this year we have 43 cars vying for spots, so it at least creates a little bit of drama with guys trying to race that are way in, but it creates incentive for the years when maybe we only have 40 cars qualifying for the Daytona 500. That the Because the duels used to be, you know, you'd have anywhere between 50 and 70 cars showing up to qualify for the 500, and you needed these duels to settle the field um now that the fields have been reduced drastically there's not as much of that anymore and again this year fortunately we do have some of that um that'll be taking place on thursday which will be fun to watch but it kind of provides a built-in safety net in case you do only have 40 cars showing up at daytona at least the duels are meaning something outside of just setting the field for the 500 right that's just me. yeah i don't know i go back and forth on it um because, I mean, it's essentially an exhibition race, but you get points for it. I yep. don't know. I go back and forth. It's, it's one of those things. It's tradition. Uh, I don't want to see it go anywhere just because it, it's cool. And that, it kind of sets Daytona apart from everything else. It's like, okay, well, we have qualifying. Then we have these races to set the field and also determine who gets in and out. It just kind of makes it feel a little more special to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love the duelists themselves. I just don't like that you're awarded points for it that's the only change i would like to see right right yeah i i, I, I get it i just don't want to set qualified order though yeah yeah um and you know you know talking about next year with um the daytona or the super bowl being the week before the daytona 500 you know it's a possibility that you know we could see a really condensed week next year with maybe running uh, qualifying in the clash and maybe even the arca race on you know, Wednesday, and then running the duels on Thursday, and just kind of tightening the weekend up a little bit, which I'm sure would save teams a tremendous amount of money, because, you know, as of right now, uh, yesterday and today, Monday and Tuesday, there's nothing happening at the track, but 
you know, you still got a lot of teams spending the money of, of teams staying there and, and everything else like that. So shortening it up to maybe even a five day speed weeks could probably save the teams a lot of money. Just a thought. Yeah. Just a thought. Yeah. Wouldn't be a terrible thing. Wouldn't be a terrible thing. And again, we're, we're talking about 2021 and beyond trying to shorten things up, save teams a lot of money. And, you know, there, there's a certainly a way to do it. Somewhere. Well, and there's your chance to really experiment with a weeknight race. Um, because, again, you already got a lot of people that are already in Daytona for the entire week anyway. So if you're running the Clash on, like, a Wednesday night, and, again, we're running the duels on Thursday night, you can kind of really test to see how many people are going to tune in when there isn't a whole lot of other stuff going on in the sports world outside of, you know, basketball. Right. So, I don't know, just food for thought, and we'll see what the 2021 schedule looks like and if they make any of those changes. And now, kind of finally look ahead to the actual points-paying events of the weekend as we have the triple header to start the season. we got Trucks on Friday night, Xfinity on Saturday, and the Cup Series Daytona 500 on Sunday. Starting off with the Truck Series, we talked about this a little bit in our season preview. There's going to be a lot of competitive trucks this season and now again they expanded the playoff field to 10 not a fan of that but i really feel like there's more than 10 competitive trucks that are going to be showing up to the track every single week and that's something that we haven't necessarily been able to say for the full-time teams at least in the truck series in quite a while right so you know i look back on last year's xfinity series as my favorite series of last year and again, it was dominated by three drivers, Bell, Custer, and um, uh, Reddick, who ended up winning the championship. But it just created such good racing because you had three guys on the top of their game going neck and neck throughout the year. If the truck series can produce anything remotely close to that, it has the chance to be the best series of 2020. Yeah, it, it could be. And um, I, I think it's going to be an interesting season, you know, to see how there's a lot of different storylines as there always are but I feel like there's more this year within the truck series oh without a doubt uh, uh, again the expanded playoffs Um, you look at somebody like a Christian Eckes who's going to be um, driving full time for KBM and, and you know what his deal is going to have to be with getting a waiver because he does not turn 18 until well into the season um, so that's definitely going to be something to watch for this year too yeah um the Xfinity Series running on Saturday, the NASCAR Racing Experience 300. And I just mentioned that last year, uh, the Xfinity Series was by far my favorite series just because you had three ridiculously talented guys vying for the championship. And it was a battle that took the entire season. And again, Allgaier gets in there at the end, but you know it was really the big three or nothing at that point. Yeah, All three of those guys have gone to the Cup Series now. The Xfinity Series brands itself on names are made here, and this is really going to be the first year where we kind of see how true that is. Yeah, I mean, I was actually looking through entry lists a couple days ago, which is looking at how many guys are going to get really good opportunities mm-hmm. to make a name for themselves. Yep. Um, whether it be, you know, a guy that's back for his second year, um, you know, like Noah Gregson, you've got Harrison Burton's going to have a really opportunity really good opportunity with jgr mm-hmm. uh, a lot of different a lot of different ways this season can go yep uh ross chastain gonna be full-time for um in, in the 10 car 
Um, you know, Chase Briscoe is going to be the lone Stuart Haas car now. So, you know, I, I kind of point to those guys. And again, Justin Allgaier, too, because he's been around for a while. I kind of point to those three guys, you know. I mean, I don't think they're going to replicate the success of what the three drivers did last year. But those t- those three are kind of my guys that I think are going to be the, the top notch for the series this year. Yeah, it, it wouldn't shock me at all to see those guys, you know, competing for a championship when we head to Phoenix in November. Right. Uh, and we'll get into making our picks in just a minute. One more quick piece of new, new news that I don't want to overlook here. Uh, this came about on Saturday that Kevin Harvick announced that he ex- has a contract extension with Stuart Haas Racing through the end of the 2023 season. Yeah, that was a shock a little bit. Well, it was a shock in the fact that it wasn't a formal press conference. Uh, there was no rumors about it beforehand. He was literally just answering questions to the media and brought this up on his own like, oh yeah, I'm with Stuart Haas through the end of 2023. Just thought you guys should know. Like, that's so unorthodox in today's world, especially for Bush being his main sponsor, uh, their premier partner of the Cup Series. It's the weekend of the Bush Clash, so you know there's got to be tons of representatives from that company there. Why they wouldn't have some kind of formal announcement about it is kind of crazy to me. Yeah, I mean, Maybe they didn't want to. Maybe they didn't want to take away from the weekend. I guess so, not. I don't know. Um, but now you're looking at Kevin Harvick racing until he's 47 years old, um, at least full-time in the Cup Series. And, hey, maybe you could stick around longer after that. And I was thinking about this. Over the past couple of years when we've seen the retirements of Jeff Gordon, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Tony Stewart, and now Jimmy Johnson, who's also in his mid-40s, I think we've kind of become so conditioned that they're like, all right, well, this driver just hit 40. He's got one or two years left. Like, we just, you know, everybody's retiring at that age now. Well, Kevin Harvick's at the top of his game. He's been competing for the championship almost every year that he's been at Stuart Haas Racing. I do not blame him him at all for not wanting to call it quits early. You know, I'll go with the Tom Brady line of, when I suck, that's when I'll retire. And I feel like Kevin Harvick's thinking the exact same way. Well, and the, the big elephant in the room with Harvick is he's got Fox if he wants it. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, so there's no, there's no issue, you know, with him worrying about. Oh, are they going to fill the seat? I will say the one of the first things I thought of when he did announce that was, will Fox go to a three man booth next year? Yes. I mean, I don't know. It's just it's a lot to go. I like Jamie McMurray. I, I think he's done a tremendous job on Race Hub. Yes. Um, I know they've asked before if he'd ever like to travel, and he said he enjoys being at home. So I don't know if he would do it, but I think he would be a good addition. And, and that's kind of the biggest crux to the three-man booth is, you know, everybody talks about wanting Larry McReynolds back in the booth, but he's gone on record as saying he's perfectly content with doing the studio thing in Charlotte because he doesn't have to travel and it's not get to spend more time with his family, and that's just what he really enjoys out of it. So, you know, bringing that third man along, you know, not only that, but you're also asking Fox to, you know, have to pay for somebody else to go on the road that many times a year, and we know that Fox is really scaling back on its budget when it comes to NASCAR coverage. So I think if they can keep a two-man booth, they're probably going to be content with that. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes this year. We certainly will. Um, uh, Another quick note of news before we move on to our picks for the weekend. 
Haley Deegan finished second in the ARCA race on Saturday. Um, she did have one issue. Well, bump drafting went a little bit wrong. And she turned somebody. But for the most part, she was competitive. She ran well. She just couldn't get enough of a draft to pass Michael Self in those closing laps. But second place finish, which it ties the best career finish for any woman in the ARCA series. Um, so far, so good. Yeah, one race in, and it was it was a smooth race, other than the fact that she did dump uh, one car off her nose. But other than that, you know, it was a solid debut. And again, she's very content with taking her time climbing the ladder. And I brought this up to you when the Harvick news came out. It's like, well, she's now in the Ford camp. She's obviously, you know, if she does make it to the Cup Series, she's probably going to end up with a very good team, you know. Things could be set in place for her to take the four car in 2024. I mean, that kind of lines up with the slow pace that she wants to climb the ladder, that that car would be available about that time when she should be getting the Cup Series, assuming everything else goes well. Yeah, and that's the thing is this gives not only her flexibility, but Stuart Haas flexibility as well. Yep. It was a good decision by all parties. Oh, without a doubt. Um, and again, you know, we're talking about this in 2020. This could all turn sideways and go a completely different direction. We don't know. It's just speculation at this point. Yeah. All right, so let's get into our picks for the first points-paying weekend of the 2020 season. I brought this up to you the other day that uh, I kind of wanted to create something to kind of uh, last the entire season for us when it comes to making picks that we didn't do last year, and that is award our own points for the picks that we make. And this is only for picking winners correctly. So we will have a system uh, where the truck series is worth one point, Xfinity series is worth two, and the cup series is worth three. Only points paying events. And again, you only get the point if you pick the winner correctly. We could both end this season with absolutely zero points, and you know that would be completely hilarious, but it, it's... It's not unrealistic, but just something to help us keep track of how our picks are going and who, honestly, who's picking better than the other for the most part this season. Okay, I'm in. So we'll go ahead and start with the next Terra Energy Resources 250 on Friday night for the truck series. Again, going to be a lot of competitive trucks in the field for this season. Who takes the first checkered flag of 2020? Um, I'm just going to go with Matt Crafton. Okay. I mean veteran it's been there done it bought the t-shirt mm-hmm. um you know and uh, really until you get a, a few races into the season you don't really know what you've, you've got mm-hmm. um so i'm just gonna go with matt crafton i'm gonna stick in the uh thor sport camp i'm gonna go with grant Enfinger. Enfinger is a good restrictor plate racer i also feel like and similar to matt crafton he has something to prove this year because he had the most points of the regular season last year and got eliminated really early on in the playoffs. So I feel like he's got a statement to make, especially at Daytona. So I'm going to go with Grand Enfinger starting off the season as the winner. Okay. Moving on to the NASCAR Racing Experience 300 for the Xfinity Series on Saturday. Again, a lot of star power lost from the three guys going to the Cup Series. Who starts off the 2020 campaign as a winner in the Xfinity Series? Noah Gregson. All right. Junior Junior Sports cars run well at super speedways. They do. They're going to qualify well. Um, you know, I was at the the 
race in Talladega last year where mm. he, he led some laps. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it'd be interesting to see how he progresses in year two, um, see how he matures with, you know, a year under his belt. And, you know, I talked about it a little bit earlier. You look for guys that potentially make a jump in year two. I think he's a guy that, with a good year, could thrust himself potentially into a good job next year. Well, and I'm talking one of the potentially two open seats in Hendrick Motorsports. Well, when you talk about Noah Gregson last year, and again, it was his first full year in the Xfinity Series, he wasn't running bad by any means, but he was consistently finishing behind the three guys that dominated the season. So if you take those three guys out of the equation and you add three positions to every one of Gregson's finishes last year, he's running, I mean, he ran fine last year, but he's running exceptionally better taking that into account. Right. So, and again, it's, that's not necessarily how it works, but it's just kind of food for thought. I do think he's going to have a much improved season this year as well. But my pick yeah. to start off the season as a winner in the Xfinity Series is Ross Chastain. Now, he won last time they were running a super speedway at Daytona last year. He's full-time. Again, he's about as aggressive as they come, and when it comes to super speedway racing, it takes being aggressive to win a lot of the time. So I feel comfortable picking Ross Chastain in the 10. And I think, uh, again, I mentioned it earlier, if, if I'm going to lock somebody into Homestead right now, I have a really good feeling that Ross Chastain is going to be there. Yeah, that's a good pick. And now moving on to the Daytona 500 for the NASCAR Cup Series. Again, we've seen a wreck-filled clash. I assume the duels are going to be a little bit more tame. We don't know what to expect when it comes to Sunday, but who is taking the checkered flag in the Daytona 500? He was within about a half a lap of it two years ago before he got turned around. All right. Eric Almarola is going to get it done this year. I'll stick in the forward camp because they run very well at the super speedways. I'm going to go with Brad Keselowski, though. Brad has had a very rough speed weeks already. He ran into a pole during practice on Saturday. He gets caught up in the mess between Kyle Busch and Joey Logano in the clash. I just feel like he's going to go out there almost angry, like racing with something to prove. And I go back to the 2014 Talladega Chase race where Brad Keselowski's championship life was on the line at that point. And he went out there and won that race. So I think he's going to kind of attack the 500 with a similar attitude. Yeah. Um, and again, with him getting paired with Jeremy Bullins as his crew chief, I don't know how many opportunities he's going to have to win races this year. So I think, and, and I think Kozlowski is well aware that Bullins is definitely the third best crew chief at Penske. So I think he's going to put a lot of incentive on these super speedway races, his best chance to win this season. Yeah, and he's an aggressive driver. Like you said, it hasn't been a, a good start for speed weeks for him. So look for him to really come out, you know, guns a-blazing on Sunday. Absolutely. And before we go, we did this last year, and I came oh so close to being correct with it with Denny Hamlin. Let's make our championship pick. Who do you think will be getting the title, and I said locked into Homestead a minute ago with Ross Chastain. I have to get conditioned to saying we're going to Phoenix for the championship now. In the Cup Series, who is winning the 2020 championship? Uh, the fan in me is all for this pick. My head says pick otherwise. I'm going to go with Chase Elliott. 
Okay. All right. And Big year for it's Chevrolet. A, it's a it's a bold pick for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's consistently gotten better each mm-hmm. year, and I think this is the year he takes that astronomical step and really puts himself up there as you know one of the elite drivers in the sport, somebody that can win anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about how uh, he's kind of won some gimmick races so far. Sure, he has. He's won them though. Yep. Um, and I think of the out of the Hendrick stable, he's got the best car. I think he's got the best team. Um, so I, I'm looking for a big year for number nine. Not only that, he runs well at Phoenix too. Yep. yep. And I think that I think that's going to play into it. I think that's a huge thing that's going to play into it. Well, and that leads me to my championship pick. We just talked about him extending through 2023. Who's better at Phoenix than Kevin Harvick? Happy Harvick. He loves it out in the desert. And he hasn't made the championship four in every single season, but most years he typically finds his way in there. And you're telling me that Kevin Harvick, at his best racetrack, racing for the championship, is going to be easy to beat? Absolutely not. Kevin Harvick wins the 2020 championship. Okay, well, write them down. That's right. Yeah. Well, like I said, and, and you know, obviously we're not going to get points for that. That's just our predictions. But hopefully keeping up with the points a little bit will kind of help us remember and uh, keep track of who we're picking on a week-in, week-out basis. Yeah. Well, all right. That's a wrap on the review of the Clash Daytona 500 qualifying weekend. Now we get to sit back, relax, and enjoy four straight days of racing starting Thursday, culminating with the Daytona 500 on Sunday. And just like that, the 2020 season will be off and running. Yeah, it's hard to believe, but I'm here for it. I'm excited for it. So we'll see how it goes. Well, I'm looking forward to another full season of podcasting for it. That certainly made last year fun. Yeah. Well, we thank you as always for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on the brand new 960 The Ref app. I am at TylerHead18 on Twitter. He is at Mullinax. I had this right. WX. I had that right last time. Almost (laughs) forgot. Uh, But anyways, we thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next week to break down all the happenings of the first weekend of the 2020 season. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time.